Philippians uh, 4, verses 1 to 9 in the NIV. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Thank you for reading that. Marianne, I'll put this on this. So as has been announced a few times, my name is Toy and I'm one of the elders here at RCL. Uh, so if I haven't met you yet, welcome. Um, and what I'd like to talk to us all this morning is about the promise of peace. And if you're uh, like writing notes, that's also the title for today. So um, before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we're able to gather here together in person and online to hear your word. And I pray that you'll speak through me today. Let my words and heart align with yours as I share and just pray that everyone listening um, here today will receive from you. Amen. Anxiety, fear, tension, and panic attacks. I'm sure that sounds familiar to most of us because those phrases, those words seem to be um, a constant topic of conversation. And in my preparation today, um, I wanted to check that out and see. So I googled, are people more anxious today um, than in previous generations? And the answer was yes. Multiple sources had reasons for this, and they range from increased education, um, increased uh, research, um, more communication, so from the internet, from the 24-7 news cycle, and actually just by talking more about anxiety and tension. But whatever the case might be, anxiety seems to be a present um, theme, a present thing um, that we have to deal with in the modern age. And that's why the promise of peace, or rather a peace that can even battle or even overcome anxiety, is so appealing for us all today. And as I continue to do some research, I came across Mind, the mental health charity. And they said that one in four people suffer from mental health problems, with anxiety being the most common among them. And they went on to say that anxiety affects the body in a number of ways. And I'll just read a few. Feeling restless or unable to sit still. Sleep problems. Grinding your teeth, especially at night. But anxiety also affects the mind. 
in ways like having a sense of dread or fearing the worst or wanting lots of reassurance from other people and worrying that they might be upset or angry with you and even low mood and depression. So those are quite a lot of um, symptoms. And although they might not all be linked specifically or solely to anxiety, I'm sure all of us to some degree can say that we've felt some of them in some form at some point of our lives. So again, the promise of peace and the solution that deals with those symptoms is would be a great relief to pretty much all of us. But let's return um, back to the scripture read by Marianne. Um, And in those verses, the Apostle Paul uh, was addressing um, the church in Philippi with some anxiety that they were feeling at the time. And if you've been at RCL for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been working through the book of Philippians. But I just want to give us a little bit more context so we understand a bit more about what we've been uh, reading. So in this book, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he'd actually been there um, some time before. And you can find the accounts of this that take place in Acts chapter 16. And whilst they were there, him and Silas um, essentially were going around telling people about Jesus. And on the way um, through the city, they bumped into a young girl who was possessed by a demon. And they prayed and the demon came out of her. And that actually um, upset quite a few people. So those people arranged for Paul and Silas to be beaten and then thrown into prison. And whilst they were in prison, um, they were praising God and singing. And when it got to late at night, there was an earthquake. And when the earthquake actually broke their chains, so essentially they were set free. But they didn't leave. And when the jailer that was there came to see if they'd escaped, he saw that they were still there sitting down praising God. And he was so amazed by this, he actually, him and his whole household um, became Christians. And then later on that morning, um, word came and Paul and Silas were released. So that's a whole lot of things that happened um, in Philippians the last time that Paul was there. But at the point of writing this letter, Paul is in prison again, this time in Rome, it's believed. Um, And he's writing a letter to that church in Philippians because someone had brought news about things that were happening in that church that he'd set up previously. And one of the things about this letter to the Philippians that essentially makes it stand out from all the other books that Paul had written before was the amount of love, care, and connection that Paul had for the church. And in fact, the New English Bible, in the caption that sums up this book, it calls it the Apostle and his friends. And that really just goes to show the amount of love and care that the Apostle Paul was expressing to this group. And it wasn't so much that he didn't have love for other um, churches that he established, but there was something specific about this church that really connected with him. And the reason why I want to bring this up is that as you think back to the words that we read and as we go through deeply, just bear that in mind that the reason that Paul is sharing these things is out of a sense of love and connection with the people in the Philippian church. So let's bear that in mind. So now we've got the context of those verses, just moving a little bit further into the actual message, which I said is the the promise of peace. And there's three points that I'd like to share with you. So the first point is the promise of peace, or rather the promises of peace. The second is the conditions for peace. And the third, the personification of peace. So number one, the promises of peace. Number two, the conditions for peace. And number three, the personification of peace. So with the promises, and the first thing that's promised here is peace itself. And actually came across a 
a quote attributed to Alanis Morissette. And if you know who that is, that has aged you at a certain range, I won't say what that range is, or you have um, interest and taste in music. But um, Alanis Morissette, she was a Canadian-American singer from the 90s. And she said, peace of mind for five minutes, that's all I crave. Now that might seem surprising for just five minutes. It might seem a little bit short or not enough. Or it might seem realistic. But that just goes to show how precious peace is and how much we desire it and how elusive it can be. And with that, people are always trying to find ways to find peace, whether it be through relationships, success, or even being really, really nice to people. But either way, that sort of peace always depends upon you. You're always having to work hard to maintain it, or it depends on others. But either way, it's really, really fragile. But let's compare it to the peace spoken about in these verses. So in verse 7, we read one of the most beautiful assurances of peace that are found in the New Testament. And it reads, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So beautiful. And that verse is often used as an encouragement for and a prayer for people that are going through immense challenges and through difficult circumstances. The peace here described, it goes beyond our human understanding. It's the kind of peace that doesn't make sense in the face of challenges and difficult circumstances. It's a supernatural gift from God. And it's given strength and faith to Christians throughout the ages. And what would have made this even more poignant for the um, Philippian church at the time is they would have remembered Paul actually sitting in prison at the time. So they would have remembered him in that dark cell being battered and bruised and chained. And when they would have heard these verses, they would have thought back and recognized that the sort of peace that Paul experienced in that prison cell is a sort of peace that was made available to them. And that's the kind of peace that can be experienced in those difficult moments. Now, the second promise of peace here is that it will guide our hearts and our minds, which is another way of describing uh, what we think in our minds and what we feel in our hearts. And looking back to the description of um, anxiety and the way it affects us from mind, again, it refers to what we, um, you know, our minds, as I said, and also our bodies. So therefore, having a peace that guards our hearts and our minds is really, really a blessing because that's where we're most vulnerable. And the word guard here is really pivotal. It creates an image of being on guard, like the army um, protecting or guarding something. So it's military image, imagery. And that's the way God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. And in fact, what came to mind when I, I read this verse is some of the promises in the Psalms, and specifically Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. And they read, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So that kind of peace, a protected peace, is such a precious gift and is so needed in today's anxiety-filled world. But it's not just the peace of God that is present with us, but actually God himself. And verse 9 ends with, and the, peace, and the God of peace will be with you always. And strangely, it's really easy for us to take that sort of promise for granted. Because as human beings, it's 
unfortunately quite easy for us to take those closest to us for granted. And I'm sure we've all experienced some of that, whether it be us taking someone else for granted or being taken for granted by those close to us. But in order to really understand what Paul is talking about here, picture this, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of everything, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, being with you, loving you, protecting you. And just let that sink into your hearts a little bit. And as you do, let the reality of his presence being with you and the peace that that brings to your heart, let that wash over you. But just to give you another example that might be um, a bit easier to picture, think of the the classic movie scene where you have the, the weakest kid in class and it's after school and he's being bullied and the bullies are all around him because his teachers and friends aren't around. Um, and as they're being bullied, in the distance, they see their parents' car just pull up. And as the parent gets closer and closer, that fear that once gripped them starts to drift away. And they start to stand more confident and start to smile. And that confuses the bullies because they can't see what's happening in the background. And they try to increase the intimidation. But then just as those bullies start to really amp it up and start to hurt the child, then the parent just steps in. And then the bullies run away scared. And the parent holds their child and gives them a big hug. And in that moment, that's the kind of peace, that's the connection that God is saying that's available to us all. That kind of peace, that kind of connection with our Father. And that's what God is saying um, is available for us today. And the other promise of peace is really understanding just what kind of peace is actually being promised here. And when we think about it, we might think of peace being the absence of war or fighting or even just the removal of the anxiety that we've been speaking about so far. But peace described about in the New Testament is actually broader and wider and actually refers to um, an Old Testament word, shalom, which refers to something far more broader, such as wholeness and unity. Essentially, um, includes peace with God, which is upward, peace with people and creation, which is outward, and also peace within, which is inward and internal. And that is the peace of God for the people of God. So those are the promises of peace. The peace that transcends understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And the God of peace himself being with us. So with those being the promises, let's now think about the conditions. Because with most promises, there are always conditions attached. Things that you need to do or not do in order to achieve the desired outcome. But the conditions laid out in these verses, um, there are four of them in total. And we'll just go through them. Now, I've called them conditions here. But Paul um, refers to them as commands or directives. And that might seem a little harsh. But again, remember back to when we were speaking about before, the Apostle Paul is giving them lovingly as commands to follow because he knows that if the Philippians follow those things and if we also follow those things, then we will be able to experience the peace of God. So the first one is in verse 4. And it reads, "The Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So Paul here is saying that we should rejoice in God. And in fact, he's so insistent that he ends a word, sorry, ends a verse again with the word rejoice, making sure that we really know that we're meant to rejoice in God. 
And what rejoice means is to take joy or great delight in something. And here the focus is God. Now when I first read that voice, two things immediately came to mind. The first was the frequency, always. And when you hear the word always, you think about that it's continuous, that it's forever, and there are no breaks. So rejoicing in God always seems a little bit extreme, almost, or a lot to deal with. Um, But then the second thing, um, the word rejoicing and rejoicing always sounded initially a little bit to me um, like toxic positivity. And if you haven't heard that term before, it's defined as the act of avoiding, suppressing, or rejecting negative emotions or experiences. And this can take the form of denying your own emotions or denying the emotions of someone else and insisting that they think positively instead. It's as if Paul here is saying, just ignore all of the bad stuff in your life um, because God is good. And some of you may have experienced that before. Um, Some of you might have even unconsciously have done that to somebody else. But that's not what Paul here is suggesting for us to do. Because one of the challenges with toxic positivity is although well-meaning, it can often feel um, quite condescending and it can leave you feeling unheard and unsupported and quite discouraged. And that's something that, unfortunately, Christians, we can find ourselves doing and falling into that trap. But Paul here is referring to not a refusal of reality or ignoring present situations, but he's actually inviting us into a deeper reality, one that can both accept and acknowledge the challenges and the circumstances, but yet still delight and acknowledge God. Because you know that your future is secure with God, and that will never change. And even though your present circumstances might, and present problems might persist, And even they might seem overwhelming at time, but they will not last forever. And that is a truth that you can hold on to. And that is a great reason to rejoice. And the second condition um, is found in verse 6. And verse 6 reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And remember, we started off by talking about anxiety. So it's quite reassuring to know that even in the New Testament times, that was still an issue for them. And when I was doing some reading around this, a Bible commentator said that anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. And I thought that was a really, really powerful image. But when I first thought about it, I thought that they were opposites or mutually exclusive. But when I started to think about it a little more deeply, I realized that both fire and water can actually exist in the same space at the same moment, but not for very long. It's just a matter of intensity or amount, because after a while, one will drown out the other. And that's really the the choice that's presented before us here. We can either be anxious or we can even pray and trust God. And again, it doesn't mean you do one without the other because, as I said, they're both able to be present at the same time. But it's about what you focus on and what you press into. So it's really about what you choose. And remember, as we said, these conditions are commands. These are things that Paul is telling us that we should do. And if we do, then um, we will experience uh, the peace of God. But we are free to choose. And the third condition is what you think on or focus on. And that's in verse 8. And it reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is, holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that's a lot of examples there um, in the verse that Paul gave us. But essentially, it's about what we focus on. And that reminds me of a, a Star Wars quote. And it's your focus, <laughs> your focus determines your reality. And I won't say which Star Wars film, because it's one of the, in my opinion, the weaker ones. But anyway, the uh, quote still remains true. What you focus on really impacts how you live your life. And also it reminds you of the concept of doom scrolling. And if you've never come across that phrase, it was actually the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year for 2020. And it's defined as the practice of obsessively checking the news for updates, especially on social media, with the expectation that the news will be bad. And that such feeling of dread from this negative expectation fuels a a compulsion to continue checking for updates in a perpetuating cycle. So that's doom scrolling. It's actually one of the reasons why I don't watch the news, but hypocritically, I still have Twitter, which I think actually is some ways worse. But that feeling of doom scrolling when I'm just going through my feed, checking, 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 up until I get to the classic internet meme, um, that's enough internet for today, and I close the app and then uh, kind of go about my day. But as I do so, I really feel my mindset and my approach really feeling just being filled with negativity and just losing a lot of peace. And that's the reason why um, Paul's challenge here doesn't surprise me. Because definitely social media and smartphone devices and being hooked on those things definitely um, has me focusing on things that are not praiseworthy. And the result, I can say, is a distinct lack of peace. But just a caveat here, I'm not saying that you um, cut out all the negativity from your life and live for good vibes only. I don't even think that's possible. But even if it were, that's not what Paul is um, saying here. He's telling us to focus on the things that are right and pure. And it's about choosing where to spend your time and attention. And again, this is a choice for all of us. And the fourth and final condition here is about practicing. And verse 9 reads... Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And here the focus is about what you spend your time um, doing based upon what you um, absorb. And Paul here is offering his life as an example for the Philippians to imitate and to practice because practice here is crucial. And if you were here last week, Pastor Tim also spoke about um, practice and patterns. And if you haven't heard the message, it's available um, on the website. But one of the things that really stood out to me was he asked us all a question. And it was, if somebody were to imitate your life for a week or a month, would that be a good or a bad thing? I was like, whoa. But that shows about actually what we do and what we practice and the impact of it. And um, I've actually been learning to play the trumpet for the past three years. <laughs> and uh, I can confidently say now that I know how to play the trumpet. But if you were to ask me, um, can I play it well? Or am I a good trumpet player? I would probably mumble and try and avoid the question. And one of the main reasons for that is practice, or rather the lack of it. Because I don't really practice consistently enough to consider myself a good trumpet player. Or maybe think about people who um, know a second language, where if they don't practice it, 
um, for any length of time and years or months pass, they um, lose their ability to speak as fluently as they once did. And that's the power of practice. Essentially, when you practice something, it goes beyond knowledge. It embodies and it transforms you. So this final command about um, practicing and not just knowing stuff, like being aware of what it means to live like a Christian, is not good enough. But really what we need to actually do is to do it, to practice it, day in, day out. Getting it wrong sometimes, making mistakes, but to actually do so. And as we practice, we will be transferred to transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. So those are the four conditions or commands that Paul outlines in order order for us to experience the promises, the peace promised in these verses. And they were to rejoice in the Lord always, to pray and give thanks instead of being anxious, to focus on what is true, what is lovely, what is praiseworthy, and finally to practice the example of Christian living. And what I love about these things is that they're so practical. They cover things to do, things to think and spiritual practices and disciplines and things to adopt and personally that really works well for me because I'm quite a practical person and in fact it reminds me of um, a quote by Dallas Willard which says grace is not opposed to effort but it's opposed to earning and simply all of these conditions all of these commands they're just simply our effort they're things that we can do but in response to what Jesus has already done for us they're not grace They're not what makes us a Christian. They're not even the things that give us peace or bring us into a relationship with God. Because what brings us peace is through Jesus Christ himself. Because the final point is that Jesus is a personification of our peace. Jesus himself was reconciled, Jesus reconciled us to himself and to God. He made peace for us by taking on our weakness, our shame, our fear and our anxiety and our sin. He suffered all those things so that we can have the peace of God, which he won for us by his death on the cross and by his resurrection. So as I mentioned, Jesus himself is a personification of our peace because he himself perfectly fulfilled those conditions of peace. Jesus always lived in joy, uh, with joy before God his Father. And it was joy actually that led him to the cross, as it says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. And even in the most stressful situation, Jesus was able to prayerfully surrender himself to the will of God, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And in fact, Jesus speaking about his own actions in John 5 verse 19 says, well, he said that he only does what he sees in his father doing, which speaks to his own practice and imitation. And because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the conditions for peace, now we all can have peace both in and through him. And we can also really rejoice because we can give everything over to God in prayer because Jesus gave himself up for us. So as we close, what I don't want you to do is to hear those conditions as being um, simply a list of things to do um, or rather willpower that you need to muster in order for you to win peace. But rather simply as things that we can respond to um, in accepting Jesus and his finished work and having peace with God. And not to have more anxiety by trying to fill more conditions. 
So as we are um, about to go into a second time of response and praise and prayer, um, let's pray that the Holy Spirit will just empower us to fulfill those conditions so that we can truly experience the peace of God that is promised to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, just for the peace that you've promised us and for, for Jesus being the personification of our peace, being the one that brings us true peace. And Lord, we just come before you with all of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our cares, all the things that weigh us down. And Lord, we just pray that we will experience your peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, help us to give all of our, bar- all of our burdens and our worries over to you and receive from you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for um, the peace that you've won for us and relationship that we can have for you and that you are our Father. We give you all glory and all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.